0: We're going to read the story of Jesus casting out a legion of demons, and this is not going to be a drill. It's not going to be an academic exercise. It's not going to be a thought experiment. God's actually going to do this in people's hearts as we study this text. It's difficult to teach passages about demons Because Christians don't want to be perceived as kooky or weird when we talk about these kind of things. And there's this fear that if you talk about demons, then you're theologically liberal. But we are teaching through the word of God, every book of it. And when you come upon a passage like this, it's theologically liberal to not teach it. It's theologically liberal to pretend like demon possession doesn't happen. It's in the text It's in the Bible. It's in Mark chapter five, verses one through 20. That's our passage for today. Mark chapter five, one through 20. You can look at page 840 in the Bibles that are with you if you didn't bring your own Bible. Demons can be territorial, can stake their claim on a certain spot and stay there. We see this in the book of Daniel, like this demon that presides over the skies of Persia, this demon that presides over Greece. We see it in this text, in Mark chapter 5, this legion of demons that stays put in one particular spot. saw the same thing in my travels elsewhere, in Thailand, certain altars built to gods that are territorial, these demonic spirits that preside over given regions. It's difficult for us to talk about in our culture because the American culture is very secular, whereas other cultures are much more ready to hear this because they're more spiritual. They're more inclined unto spiritual things. Let us not be slow to believe that evil exists, quick to believe that God exists, or vice versa, quick to believe that evil exists, slow to believe that God exists. You can turn on the news and you can see evidence that evil is real, You can see evidence of demonic sabotage. You can hear somebody who is brilliant say something that is obviously false. Why? They're being deceived, being lied to. Demonic oppression is a real thing. If you are a Christian, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you cannot be possessed by a demon. Greater is he who is in you than he is who is in the world. However, you can still be attacked by demons. Now, if you are not a Christian yet, Not a Christian yet. You are susceptible. You are vulnerable to demonic possession. It is possible. But Jesus may set you free. He is the king of kings. He is the lord of lords. He is able. He is in control. He is sovereign. He has all the authority of heaven and all the authority of earth. And legions of demons flee from his presence. And that presence has lost none of his potency while he is here in this room. Thus, this is not a drill. Just as it's possible for somebody to be filled with a demonic spirit in a more profound, lasting, and permanent, and beautiful way, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God instead. That is what I propose. That is what I invite you into. So let's look at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 5. Look at the first two verses with me. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, amen, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. All right. So if you have a different Bible translation than what we use, you may have noticed a difference already. Hang on, Campbell. My Bible says the Gadarenes. Where are the Gerasenes? Well, Gersa is a smaller region within Gadara. All right, so both of these are accurate. Whether your Bible says Gerasenes or Gadarenes, both are describing the same region because Gersa is within Gadara. I'll give you an example. When you're traveling out of town and somebody asks you where you're from, what do you say? See? See? <laughs> So these are both accurate statements of where this takes place. It's about six miles southeast of the Sea of Galilee. Both terms are accurate, but there's something else that you may have already noticed if you're particularly versed in the Gospels. You'll notice that that this exact same event is described in Matthew's Gospel, but when Matthew describes it, there are two men present. Mark zooms in on the one. Why is that? Well, in both accounts, this one man is possessed by a legion of demons. Mark, being ever so succinct, devotes his few Words within his total word count to the more prominent of the two, the more severe of the two possessions. Let's go to verse three. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. There's a story behind that. You picture that happening? For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. So when I see this demon run and fall before Jesus, I see something that is prophetic, that is said in scripture, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, and confess that Jesus is Lord, and above him there is no other. Every tongue and every knee above the earth, and on the earth, and beneath the earth. I mean, I see a foreshadowing of that here, as this man possessed by a legion of demons bows before Jesus. Now it may seem an odd thing in church to study the words of a demon, but we're really studying the gospel of Mark, amen? So let's look at this, because you're gonna see this same thought process at work in our culture today. Look at what the demon says in verse seven. First of all, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He acknowledges, he knows that Jesus is who he is. I adjure you by God. Now, to whom is he speaking? God. You see the flawed thinking right off the bat. He is begging God Before God, before God. His thinking is flawed right from the get go. I I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. All right, when he says torment me, he's responding to what Jesus said, according to verse 8 come out of the man. So, this demon, in his deluded thinking, considered being cast out of that man torment. Here's what is so egregiously wrong with that he was tormenting that man. The legion of demons was tormenting this man who was crying out day and night and cutting himself with sharp stones. The demons were tormenting the man and they considered being cast out torment. It is utter delusion. Demonic thinking is utterly deluded. Up is down and down is up and good is evil and evil is good. Woe to you, says the prophet Isaiah, when you consider evil good and good evil. If you listen closely to culture today, you read carefully, you deconstruct the messaging, you can see this exact same paradigm of thought at work. It is even a common tactic to accuse someone of doing the very thing that you're doing. Okay, this is at work in our culture today. Saul Alinsky encouraged people to do this in his book, Rules for Radicals. Watch the messaging, watch the cultural narrative, listen to the commentary, and you'll see this exact same demonic mode of thought alive and well and at work in our culture today. This demon is deluded. Woe to us when we do the same thing and call good evil and evil good. Now, look at verse 9. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Let's talk about this. Jesus asked the question. Why does Jesus ask questions? Jesus is omniscient. He already knows everything. So Jesus didn't ask questions so as to procure knowledge that he didn't have before. He asks questions for the benefit of those who are listening in and looking on. Consider John 11, when Jesus prays out to the Father. Jesus and the Father were one. He didn't need to speak anything out loud, but he says in John 11 that I say this out loud so that those listening to me may hear and be blessed, that we may know that he's Lord. Now, by extension, who does that then include? Us, you and I, because who is present for that? John. John writes about it in his gospel, and as a result, you and I may read and believe and know that Jesus is Lord. So Jesus would say things aloud and ask seemingly obtuse questions, not to procure wisdom that he didn't have before, but to bring us in that we might learn because of what Jesus says. He would ask questions so that people would answer them. He would ask the blind man, do you want to see? Not because he didn't know, but so the man would answer. Now think of what happens as a result of this question. He asks the man, what is your name? He asks the demon, what is your name? And the response is legion, for we are many Meaning, it's not just one demon that is possessing this man, but multitudes of demons. If Jesus had not asked that question, we would not have learned this. Because up to this point, we see only one singular voice speaking. Jesus asks this question, knowing the answer to it, so that you and I would then have the same answer. He asks the question, What is your name? My name is Legion, for we are many. Now, interestingly, this this is where the hacker name Legion comes from. Have you seen this? Like hackers will team up on 4chan and pick a mission and go after it together and say, we are Legion for we are many. Now listen, if that's you, if you're one of our hacker friends who does this, you might wanna pick a different name. <laughs> like there's so many other cool names in the Bible that you could go by. Like it doesn't actually work out well for Legion, okay? How many of you guys have read this story before? You know it happens to poor Legion, <laughs> You don't want you don't want to be legion. Pick a better name like Banaya, all right? Who went into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Or just a suggestion. Please don't hack me. Again. <laughs> have you guys have you guys received emails from the fake Jesse Campbells that are out there? I'm sorry about that if you have. I've been impersonated a few times. So here's here's the thing the grammar in those emails is atrocious. If you're gonna hack me, like, do it properly. All right, like, I mean, I I will pull over and edit. I recently did, I pulled over and edited a text message to my wife about diapers because it wasn't properly voiced in the subjunctive. (laughs) Had to change was to were. And I misused, uh, I used a semicolon where it should've been a colon, all right? Furthermore, have you seen the, the style? Like, who uses serifs like those? I would never write in that font. Windows 95 called and wants its style back. I recognize there are probably people in this room who like invented Windows 95. (laughs) Don't mean to be offensive there. Thanks for your work. It was groundbreaking at the time. (laughs) But you can tell this is not me. Okay, this is not. So I'm sorry. If you've received an email from a fake Jesse Campbell asking you for money, know this. I'm not going to email you and ask you for money. I'm going to email you, and ask you for your summer. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to email you and put you to work. (laughs) So sorry about that. And if you're a hacker, get a better name, okay? It does not work out well for Legion. Now, this practice of asking a demon its name, here's where it comes from. It comes from Mark chapter five, verse nine. But it gets emulated and it becomes a part of the whole mythology around demons that we see like in scary movies that are about demons and things like this. And it becomes common practice for somebody to imitate Jesus who had authority when you don't have authority yourself over demons. My MDiv, my Master of Divinity Degree, came from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And New Orleans is a fascinating city. I think it's a really important city in American culture. And if you've never been there, I think it's a, I think it's a good pilgrimage for, for Americans to make. Because two of the only truly originally American things came from New Orleans. Like Cajun food, which is eclectic in of itself, drawing from French and other cuisines and things like that, largely is the, is the only truly American style of food. Or it could be argued that Cajun food and barbecue are the only two truly American original styles, aside from what you get at a diner. Let freedom ring. (laughs) But also jazz music, which is arguably the only truly originally American style of music, came from New Orleans. So you need to go there at some point. If you have a long layover in New Orleans, you need to go to Ralph and Kakus and and get some jambalaya. You need to go to Cafe Du Monde and get get some beignets. All right, you need to go to Preservation Hall and hear some live jazz music in the French Quarter. My bride and I went there and heard some live jazz. They they pride themselves on the fact that they have not cleaned it since Louis Armstrong last played there live. And it smells like it. So be prepared. But do go there. And when you walk out of Preservation Hall in the French Quarter, you don't have to walk one block before you see like a voodoo store. And witchcraft and the occult being just merchandised. And so, like, the, like d- d- demon worship is actually part of the, the fabric of the story of New Orleans. So you can imagine how it influenced the thought of one of my professors who taught me pastoral ministry, Dr. Dennis Brunet. With a name like that, you already have the whole story, right? I mean, he grew up on the bayous of Louisiana. And then he studied under a man who was from South Africa. So his accent is all over the place. <laughs> He's a fascinating man. He taught us pastoral ministry. At the end of one of our classes, shortly, uh, shortly into the semester, he said, we have a few minutes left. The lecture is done. If you have any questions, I'd like to answer them. And I said, yes, Dr. Brunet is, is exorcism real? Like, are the Catholics right about this? He said, nope, nope. Another question. <laughs> all right, sorry. A few weeks went on, he came to the end of his lecture a little bit early, opened up the floor for questions. Nope, somebody else! (laughs) And finally we came to the end of the semester, the end of the term, we had finished our exams, turned in our research papers, we had a few minutes left, We're sitting there, he's like, listen, brothers, our time together has come to a close, and I want to open up the floor once more to any questions that you have. Yes, Pastor Campbell, I know what you're going to ask. (laughs) And he said, I wanted to spare you, because those who investigate the demonic will be investigated by the demonic. I wanted to protect you from this. So let me pass on to you the same uh, admonition that, Dr. Brunet passed on to me. Do not let curiosity about the demonic draw you into something that is dark and spiritually oppressive. There's a biblical, biblical historical account to back this point up. It comes from Acts chapter 19. It reads, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by, this, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Do you see how indirect that is? Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceval were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? It's not gonna go well. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So you see there, it did result ultimately in the glory of God. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. If you've been trying to mix the occult with Christianity, repent today. And they counted the value of all of them, and they found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Dr. Brunet was right. I pass that on to you as well. Do not pick a fight with a demon on your own authority. You don't have any authority. Demons aren't afraid of you. Demons will lie to you. That's how they became demons in the first place, by rebelling as angels. You don't have authority. Any kind of exorcistic practice that extols the one who's doing the exorcism is false. It is Jesus who has authority. It is Jesus who is the scourge of demons. Not you, my friend, as cool as you are. You're not that cool. Even the archangel Michael in the Bible would not, by his own authority, rebuke the devil. Here's what Jude 9 says. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Just for perspective here, this is the archangel Michael. Okay, the archangel angel Michael, if he won't even use his own authority to rebuke the devil, you ought not either. Rather, let the Lord do it. Invite Jesus to do it. Ask Jesus to rebuke. Here's here's where we first met Michael, just for perspective on how powerful Michael is. Here's where we first meet him in Daniel chapter 10. He's introduced by this messenger angel. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees and he said to me O oh, Daniel man greatly loved understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you and when he had spoken this word to me I stood up trembling then he said to me fear not Daniel from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God that was 3 weeks prior your words have been heard and I have come because of your words the prince of the kingdom of Persia that's a demon over Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, that's our archangel here, came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. This wasn't even Michael. This was a heavenly courier, a messenger angel, and his presence alone was enough to make people who couldn't even see him flee. It, t- it continues in verse 18. And again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, "O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return and fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. That's another demon. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against me except against these except Michael your prince. Here's another glimpse of the archangel Michael from the book of Revelation. You just consider this. Remember what we saw in Jude, even Michael does not rebuke a demonic spirit by his own authority. This is Michael. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his, and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. But they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. That's Michael, and he doesn't even rebuke The devil by his own authority. But it says, the Lord rebuke you. Jesus rebuke you. Doesn't that passage also pull the curtain back and let us see a glimpse as to why the world is the way that it is? You may not be fully prepared to believe everything that this historical account from the gospel of Mark tells about demonic possession, but you know that evil is real. You know that evil exists. You call it by name when you see it. And by calling evil evil, you necessarily posit good. Dr. Ravi Zachariah says when you call one thing evil, you're presupposing there's such thing as good. And to say that there is good means that you must posit a moral law giver. You know evil when you see it. You recognize it. That is demonic power at work in the world, and that is a fulfillment of what is described here. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. He and his fallen angels, these demons, are lashing out knowing that their time is coming, that the date has been set for them to be destroyed forevermore. This is why you may read the word of God and look out and see life on earth and see exactly what you ought to expect to see based on what you've just read. Don't you see it? You see glimmers of hope and beauty, but it's also sabotaged and fraught with evil. There's also demons at work amidst this beauty. Let's go back to Mark chapter 5. Go back to this story. Jesus has just engaged the demon possessed man, possessed by a legion of demons. And here's what comes next in the conversation, beginning in verse 10. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. Let's stop and talk about that. He gave them permission. Did you see that? All right. these demons, like what we see in the beginning of the book of Job, still have to acknowledge the sovereignty of God. They have been given a degree of freedom within which to attack you, but ultimately God is sovereign. Even as you're under attack, God is sovereign. God is in control. Like he told the devil, you may go this far, but no farther. He gave him parameters. He's still in control. And the date of destruction is set for the devil and for his demons. They know that their time is coming. Did you know that the Lord will never let you be tempted beyond what you could bear? But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way for you to stand up under it. He had, he had the authority. Jesus had the authority even as these demons were possessing this man. And so he gives them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000. That's like a demon piglet megachurch. <laughs> Rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Can you imagine this playing out from the perspective of people who were on boats in the water beneath the cliff? <laughs> <laughs> like you and your friend Hezekiah were just fishing hey did you guys catch anything oh <laughs> well, was just some demon pig <laughs> it started raining bacon <laughs> thank you Jesus it's a little bit New Testament isn't it because <laughs> in their Hebrew culture like pigs were unclean and nobody would eat them You can tell that right away. A herd of 2,000 pigs, they would never survive that long in America. We would eat them. (laughs) Now imagine it from the perspective of those who were on top of the cliff nearby. They're actually culpable before the Lord for something. You'd think that watching Jesus cast these demons out of this man who had been tormented day and night, cutting himself with sharp stones, screaming day and night in pain, breaking chains with supernatural physical strength, you would think then, you would think that they would watch this happen and confess that Jesus is Lord. I mean, that's no small thing. We've seen a biblical account of people picking fights with demons, like in Acts chapter 19, and being defeated, being conquered, being physically bested and hurt. Like the seven sons of Sceva in Act 19, like they had their pants beaten off, all right? Like, I mean, like my, my youth pastor Jeff used to teach that text. He said, if you walk away from a fight and you're no longer wearing pants, you got beat, son, This is a bad day for you. But Jesus, with his own authority, gives these demons permission and they run off into a herd of suicidal pigs. Like they'd rather inhabit suicidal pigs than be near Jesus. Okay, so obviously Jesus is Lord. I mean, here it is. Here is a sign, a proof, a wonder, a miracle. He's obviously God. So I'm obviously gonna set aside every other belief that I had and just follow him, right? That's not the case. That's not the case. They actually ask Jesus to leave their region. They ask Jesus to go. It's fascinating. Consider as well, you know, John 11, once again, when Jesus raises a man from the dead, and instead of professing that he's Lord, they plot his murder. They plot his crucifixion. My skeptical friend, do not demand more signs and wonders, because when you get them, you won't believe Your insatiable thirst and demand for miraculous signs and wonders will only add to your condemnation on the day of judgment. No sign is going to be given to this generation except for the sign of Jonah that Jesus, the Son of Man, would be crucified and three days later would raise again. Do not, do not demand more signs and wonders. Beware the generation that demands signs and wonders. You've already received everything. And if you wouldn't believe the law and the prophets and Moses and the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it, you wouldn't even believe even if you saw a dead man raised to life. So don't, my skeptical friend, for your own good, do not demand more signs and more wonders because they only add to your condemnation before God. This is proof that Jesus is Lord. This is absolute proof But people still, they, people still begged him to go. Look at verse, look at verse 14. There's no record in this text of them being happy for the man who was demon-possessed. There's no record of them celebrating the fact that he used to be cutting himself day and night in the cave with stones, breaking chains that were bound around him, and now sitting there with clothes on in his right mind. Rather, they just asked Jesus to go. Be prepared for what it will cost you when you give your life to Jesus. You step out of that darkness, out of that demonic oppression, come to believe that he's Lord and are set free forever because some people won't like it. Some people liked you better chained. Some people liked you better in your demonic oppression and in your cave. And you don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything that's politically incorrect. Just sit there, clothed and in your right mind restored by Jesus. And that alone is enough to make them uncomfortable. Just Standing there, redeemed, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, repenting from your sin is massively offensive. Be prepared for this. Do you know what it's gonna cost you when you give your life to Jesus and you follow him and you give up your sin? It's gonna make people uncomfortable because they liked you better under oppression. Now, what does that indicate about the thoughts and attitudes and intentions of the heart to the people who liked you better under oppression? Do they have your best interests at heart? Have you counted the cost? Before you set out to build the tower, count what it costs. It's going to cost you everything to follow Jesus. And it's going to be a radical transformation. Nothing's ever going to be the same again. And beware, our culture celebrates radical transformations of all sorts, except, except for somebody who's far from God, coming to know God, repenting from sin, and inviting others in. That is considered intolerant. Everything else goes. Everything else gets you a standing ovation. But giving your life to Jesus and coming out of demonic oppression, whoa, whoa. That makes me uncomfortable. Why? Because Jesus being there, this man being obviously restored, shows them that they're in the presence of the light and they prefer the darkness because their deeds are evil. It's just uncomfortable to be in the light when you would prefer the darkness. It's uncomfortable to be around holiness and repentance when you would prefer your sin. So be prepared. Be prepared for what it's going to cost you when you follow Jesus, when he sets you free. Now, look at verse 18. Let's go, let's go to this man. Apparently nobody else in the story really cared about him, but we do, right? Let's go to verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Did you see that in verse 18? He just begged Jesus if he could be with him. And here's what's so beautiful. He has that now. He has that now. Verse 18, he just wanted to, he just begged Jesus, can I just be with you? You've set me free. Can I just be with you? What did Jesus say to the man on the cross next to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Today, this man has everything he begged for, everything he longed for. He is with Jesus. He's in the presence of Jesus. But as of verse 18, it wasn't time yet. Not yet. It's not time yet. You've got work to do, you've got ministry to do. You were being commissioned. You got to go tell people what I did for you. You got to go back home and tell your friends everything that the Lord has done for you. Look at what God has done in this man's life. What might God do in your life? If you've been oppressed by demons, if you're a Christian who's been under demonic attack, would you come out? By the power of Jesus, repent from sin. I know what it's like to be caught in bondage to sin and and I know what it's like to break out again. It leads to a testimony. It leads to just a testimony. Can you imagine how frustrating this is for the devil? Because all he does when he chains you down is write the backstory to a testimony of freedom. We've studied the book of Genesis. What the enemy intends for evil God can use for beautiful good, amen? So you come out, you come out and meet Jesus. Come out of that darkness, come out of your bondage, come out of demonic oppression, come out of that pain, come out of that addiction, come out of that depression, come out and meet Jesus. Let him set you free, let the sun sets you free. You are free indeed, freedom in Jesus' name, freedom in Jesus' name. This is not a drill. This is a real living text that is just as potent today as when it first happened. So I pray freedom over you. If you're a Christian who's been stepping back into the cave, you come back out again. But if you're here for the very first time, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, for the very first time here amidst the presence of God's people crying out to a spirit with whom you've not been acquainted yet, you find your first relief you've ever experienced. You find your ability to believe restored. You find your oppression lifting, the darkness turning into marvelous light because you came in here demon-possessed, but you're gonna walk out filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. Invite now God to kick the devil out and fill you with the Holy Spirit of God. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and the same Jesus that cast out the legion can fill you. This is not a drill. So pray with me now if the Holy Spirit of God is drawing upon your heart to give your faith to him and then we're going to stand and we're going to worship you for the very first time in a true and authentic spirit-filled heart. Go before God, you formerly demon-possessed. God, I believe that you are Lord. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You have all the authority of heaven, all the authority of earth. So God, come kick the demons out. Jesus, King of kings, conquer, dispel, cast out demons. Jesus, come. Filled with the Spirit of God, drawn by the Holy Spirit of God, for the first time I confess Jesus is Lord. I believe, God, that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only Son that if I would believe in him, I would not die, but have everlasting life. I confess, God, that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I believe, God, that the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So I confess, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And there's no way I can come to you, Father, except through Jesus. So by the Holy Spirit, I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Highlands Community Church proclaimed Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Holy Spirit of God, kick the devil out. Jesus, take the throne of my heart. Save me, God. Save me, God. Save me, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand up and worship the Lord. Stand up and worship the King of Kings.